Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 68th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is the Panama Papers, the world's largest law firm breach. We're delighted to welcome as today's guest, Stephen Stewart, who is the chief technology officer of Nuix. Stephen joined Nuix in 2008 and is responsible for leading the evolution of Nuix's software. He's currently driving the development of Nuix's information governance and big data solutions. Stephen has more than 15 years' experience working with both public and private sector organizations, designing and providing solutions for their email, file, document management, and archiving systems. Thanks for joining us today, Stephen. Thanks, John. Thanks, Sharon. Well, Stephen, some of our listeners will know a lot about the Panama Papers data breach, inevitably, but there are some who will know only a little. Can you briefly talk about the breach itself? Yeah, sure. I mean, basically, it's, in essence, the world's largest breach of information provided to an investigative journalist group. So it's about 2.6 terabytes of information, total of 11.5 million items, somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 million emails, 3 million databases, 2 million PDFs, and a million images. And the data spans over 40 years from 1977 to 2015. And basically what happened was these collection of documents were removed from a Panamanian law firm and they were handed over to a German newspaper, Süddeutsche Zeitung, who in turn engaged the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists for basically help and understanding and how to investigate that. All of this stuff came to light then on uh, April 3rd, and it's been a, an amazing insight uh, into offshore banking and various other things since. That's fascinating. That's a ton of data in anybody's mind. But Stephen, correct me if I'm wrong, but basically throughout the lifespan of the law firm, it's all their files, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty much an entire law firm's corpus of information, which really sort of opens up a lot of interesting conversations because in some ways, you know, organizations and law firms talk about 2.5 terabytes of information, really in sort of modern e-discovery and investigative data sizes. I mean, that's peanuts. Organizations are dealing with that on a regular basis. But when you kind of roll back the clock for 40 years worth of information, sort of related to financial transactions, any sort of corporate identification and creation, it's an amazing amount of information and sort of as exposed, really in a lot of conversations, the relatively soft target that are a lot of law firms. So, Stephen, what, do we really know how the breach happened at all? Do you have any insight for our listeners for that? No, I don't. And I should really be very clear. You know, Nuex has really no actual involvement in the investigation other than to provide software. You know, so the information that's publicly available is that the information was provided to uh, the German newspaper, Süddeutsche Zeitung, you know, basically sometime in 2015. They then began their investigation. You know, whether or not it was an insider that was performing a whistleblowing activity, whether or not it was a hacker that took the information, that level of speculation is rampant. Yeah, I, I did read a couple of accounts where they talked about outdated uh, WordPress plugins and being able to move laterally on the network because their file servers were on the same network segment as the web server, which they were also hosting internally. So kind of a lot of things that certainly weren't best practices as far as network infrastructure goes. 
Well, that's a very interesting observation, John, but I think we also have to assume that there was no intrusion detection system or any data loss prevention software because obviously they would have been alerted to all of this a lot sooner. Would you agree that that's probably true, Stephen? Well, I mean, again, all of those types of things are really speculation. I mean, we all hear about sort of alert fatigue and all of these other aspects. And truth be told, if you have really sort of focused and dedicated outsiders really going after something, they're often hard to detect. But again, to speculate on sort of what the Panamanian law firm uh, had in place, that's a tough call. Oh, yeah. I'd bet the mortgage money (laughs) that they weren't adequately secured. But I, I agree with you. It is all speculation. Absolutely. And I mean, every law firm around the globe, I mean, it's one of these conversations that, you know, would you rather target the major financial institution that is spending potentially billions of dollars on information security, you know, has defense in depth policies, you know, no USB access, or in many ways target their law firm or even one step beyond the service providers to those law firms. I mean, there's a ton of information that these organizations are entrusting external entities with. And oftentimes they are you know, have a much less security budget. Mm-hmm. They absolutely do, and we present a lot more attack vector fronts than, than a lot of people. Can you tell us, Stephen, about the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, what it is and what role they've played here? Yeah, absolutely. So the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, they're an international network which includes about 165 investigative journalists over 65 countries. And they really all work together to shine the light on things like cross-border crime, corruption, and the accountability of power. So really, it's an amazing entity of these journalists. And really, the German newspaper reached out to them so that they could get a greater voice and really expand band and extend the scope of their investigative capabilities. Uh, Nuix was first introduced to them, I think, four years ago uh, when we donated our software again as part of another offshore leak. So we've had a, a pretty long relationship with them, but always just providing software. So Stephen, so far at this moment, what would you say are some of the most significant revelations from this particular breach? Well, I mean, I could sort of opine on the salaciousness of all the things about celebrities and leaders and those types of things, Uh, but that's not really my sort of editorialization, I guess. For me, it's really just, it really highlights a really interesting conversation. You know, from Nuex's perspective, it's been phenomenal publicity, but you kind of have a, it's a slippery slope. I mean, essentially, this is 2.6 terabytes, 11 million documents of a law firm's confidential information that was taken, stolen, you know, given as part of a whistleblower program to a journalistic entity. And then it's been published. You know, that really sort of puts you in a position of trying to line up. And, you know, people have made comparisons to Edward Snowden that if, you know, if you're part of the U.S. government, you know, he's a traitor. If you're interested in transparency, those types of things, you know, he's a hero. But it really sort of makes for an interesting conversation. And if anything, I think that's probably one of the biggest revelations is that, you know, it all depends about perspective. And if you're a security practitioner, this means one thing. If you're a freedom of information person, this means something different if you're a journalist. But if anything, it highlights for me that regardless of where your data lives, you have to be very careful with it. You know, who has access to it, what's stored, et cetera. 
Well, before I blow the name of the law firm, how is it pronounced? Uh, that's, you know, that's a great question. I had a little bit of research. I had one of our guys come in that basically speaks German and give me a little tutorial on Sadeutsch Zeitung. <laughs> I, I was going to compliment you on that. I, I said, I could never do what he just did. That is great. That took a little bit of practice. Unfortunately, I didn't have anybody from Panama. So I'm going to go with uh, Mozak Fonseca. Okay, that's how I would have gone there. So, okay. But I know that their offices were raided by law enforcement and that they were accompanied by digital forensics experts and financial analysts. And they were there, I think, for 16 hours. Any thoughts about what they were probably looking for and the kinds of services that this firm is thought to have provided? I know the BC had a lot to say about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so again, I mean, I'm sure that they were looking for all manner, you know, depending on whose press releases you, you read, you know, it was a raid to understand, you know, the extent of the criminality, or if you're from the law firm, you have been breached, you know, I'm calling in the investigators to find out who the hacker was and sort of what the implications are from that. You know, so it's, I'm sure it's six, one half dozen, the other, you know, but they've got, I think something like they represent, you know, hundreds of offices around the globe in numerous different countries. And really they provide corporate services. You know, in essence, their expectation is around, and really the, the nomenclature is around offshore companies. You know, everyone hears about offshore companies and what does that mean for tax purposes? Also, sort of what are some of the other havens? And so in essence, you know, at least as I understand sort of the services they provide, that if you wanted to create an offshore entity in something like the British Virgin Islands, you could contact them. They would then be able to create a corporation in your name, set up the structure, uh, and their message is that, you know, you can then do whatever you will with that structure. Now, what makes it curious is that global leaders, organizations around the globe, whether good, bad, or uh, actually in some cases, I think you would even say evil, uh, <laughs> have been using some of these offshore entities to basically hide money, to evade taxes. You know, so it's very much a, a means to an end as part of the global financial system. Well, you know, as every day that goes by, we hear more and more about this particular breach. But do you have any opinion, Stephen? How long do you think it's going to be before the, the data is fully analyzed and we know all of the facts here? Well, I can safely say that using Nuex's software, you could index 2.5 terabytes in a little less than a day. You know, it's funny funny you say that because when the news first came out, I told my CEO, because we're also a Nuex user, I said, 2.4 terabytes? Damn, that's a rounding error for Nuix. <laughs> well, it's, it is. It's one of those things. Now, I think the, the reality is, you know, so it's one thing to go through and extract all the text, metadata. And in essence, we helped them, you know, by one of our sort of UK engineers coached them through how to run basically a standard e-discovery workflow. You know, load it up, OCR it, search it, deduplicate it, those types of activities. So realistically speaking, that probably took you know, a day, a couple days to get that done. It's then the analysis, you know, so going through all of that information, looking for any of the named entities. So one of the other things that NuX, the engine does is pulls out named entities. So company names, locations, IP addresses, dollar figures, extracts pretty much anything along those lines and makes it available for searching. So then once the data is loaded and you can search it and understand it, then they set about building out the relationships. And they've ICIJ puts together sort of a great graphic representation of sort of how all of these entities link together. You know, so I'd say sort of on the surface, you know, the content is well known and searchable and that was done relatively quickly. It's really all of the analysis to sort of take it to those next steps. And if I think I've received an email earlier this week that on May 9th, 
right? They're looking to release 200,000 documents. It'll be interesting to see sort of what those documents contain, sort of the level of redaction, et cetera, because the ICIJ has sort of done this in the past. And they release heavily redacted documents because, you know, protect the names of the innocent. You know, they have a responsibility that while this information is interesting, you know, you need to sort of monitor that line of sort of indiscriminately exposing information. Yeah, and I know they have a very good reputation in in that regard. I had read, and I don't know how true this may be, but they expected the full-blown analysis maybe to take up to a year. I don't know if you'd heard that as a time frame, Stephen. You know, I haven't heard specifically a year, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised. So when we we initially gave the software to the German newspaper in September of last year, so they've been at it for a little while uh, with sort of the first releases as of April, I think it will be interesting to see sort of what the tempo of additional data coming out and sort of what are some of the other implications. Are there additional data sets that they go after? Are there other raids that sort of follow on? I mean, it's already driving a lot of conversation globally as to how we go about managing offshore banking. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today our topic is the Panama Papers, the world's largest law firm breach. Our guest is Stephen Stewart, the Chief Technology Officer of Newix. Stephen, when and how did Newix become involved, just in terms of giving over the software in the Panama Papers investigation? Uh, Hi, Sharon. Yeah, thanks. So we basically got involved in September of 2015. So we've been working with the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists for several years now. And so when basically the German law firm, or excuse me, the German newspaper, reached out to the ICIJ to say that they had this collection of documents, the ICIJ recommended a new X. And so they basically brokered the introduction and we went from there. In essence, we provided some software, we provided some hardware recommendations to sort of how they could get through the information most efficiently, as well as how they could really scale out their review and analysis. So it was interesting when it hit the press on April 3rd, we really had no idea it was coming. So it was sort of an amazing opportunity, but also quite the shock because we knew that we'd given them the software to use, but really had no idea what was being investigated or when any of the information would be released. So am I correct that you gave them the software for free and did you counsel them on how best to use it for their purposes? Precisely. You know, so we donated the software to them. We've had a relationship where we've done that in the past. You know, Nuex, we've got a long history of philanthropy, you know, even to the extent that one of our products, ProofFinder, for $100 US, you can actually get a fully working copy of Nuex's Workbench software. So all of the processing power that you've got within it, and it's basically limited to 15 gigs of data. You know, so we've taken, a, I guess, then the full proceeds of that go to a philanthropic organization called Room to Read. And over the years, we've actually 
built a couple of schools throughout Southeast Asia. So, you know, Nuex is certainly a, a commercial entity, but it's also nice to be able to, quote unquote, do some good by donating our software to organizations that need it. Well, if you hadn't said that, I would have. So <laughs> we have long admired the philanthropic endeavors that Newix has taken part in. So we thank you for that. It's nice to have others in the world who want to be good corporate citizens. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's a nice story, and and really, it's a, it's a great way that people can get out and and kind of recognize what you can do with data and information and extend it. So it's fantastic. Stephen, I'm going to take us a little bit more on what you just said there, because I've been a big Proofinder, you know, fan. And when Sharon and I lecture all around the country, we're we're telling every attorney, I believe it, it's a tool that should be in every attorney's toolbox, especially those that do review of electronic evidence and all that stuff. But can you tell our listeners a little bit more about Proofinder, what its limitations may or may not be, that kind of thing? And are you doing anything in addition with the consortium as far as like training on Nuix or any of that stuff? Yeah, so I, thanks for that. Yeah, so I mean, really, the the cool thing is that Proof Finder is really just a volume limited copy of the full Nuex eDiscovery and Investigative Workbench. You know, so you get the same capabilities, you get the same power, flexibility, you know, same content. I think there's some restrictions around the types of data that you can feed in, but in general, it's pretty much the same. And it's an amazing way that sort of anybody for a uh, hundred bucks can start to get into investigations. We're also doing some work with different teaching universities, trying to get more and more name recognition as well as show people that, you know, some elements of digital Digital forensics require, you know, extreme expertise. But if the reality is you're trying to search for emails and documents and correlate different events through time, you don't necessarily have to be a full-blown forensic practitioner. And by being able to put tools like Proofinder, tools like the investigative workbench and investigator in people's hands, they can really start to do more, understand more, and you know, become really more self-sufficient and aware of the the capabilities. So far as types of things that we're doing with the ICIJ. You know, really some of our uh, European solutions consultants, I just advise them. You know, once we kind of got them tuned up really on how to run through the workflow, they really became pretty self-sufficient. I mean, the basics of what they were trying to do, you know, load data, OCR data, run searches. We helped them through sort of the creation and sort of analysis of named entities. So again, looking for things like people names, places, IP addresses, URLs, that type of information. Nuex makes that really pretty simple. You can extract all that information out during ingestion, and then it's really a matter of just clicking through the UI to be able to see that type of stuff. We also did some work with them around auto classifications, so sort of training what looks like the most relevant information. So if you could imagine you've got you know, about 5 million emails, you also have a bunch of documents. You know, A contract has a certain template or a certain format versus an email communication, and you're trying to find that. And you know, Again, these are the types of tools and tricks that organizations can use to help accelerate that review time. You know, so even though you can run searches, it's awesome to be able to bucket things together that look like contracts or bucket things that have similar content using some of the other capabilities within Nuex like shingles. So there's a lot of really sort of great techniques that are available to people using any of our products. Well, I guess I would have a question about, since there are so many products out there that fundamentally do the same kind of thing, what is it about Nuix that made your software the exact right tool for the search and analysis of this particular data? I mean, in many ways, it's probably just the simplicity in that, you know, Nuix has long hung its hat on the fact that 
you can in essence take a big pile of data regardless of its type. So if I have forensic images, mobile forensic images, and again, none of that type of data was specifically called out as part of this breach, but that's the whole message. If you, even if I have an entire exchange database, Lotus Notes, forensic images, et cetera, I can basically dump it in a huge pile and then point Nuex at it and we will go through and we will extract all the text, all the metadata from that information. And so the ability to not require someone to make really those upfront decisions or do any upfront sorting or filtering is a real enablement, particularly for novice or sort of individuals that are new to the field. You basically just point Nuex at it, shoot, and then off to the races. And then a little bit later, you can start searching it. Well, Steve, I don't think it's any any secret. You've heard Sharon and I are really big big fans of, of Nuix and been one of the early early adopters even back I can't even remember years ago when Morgan <laughs> came out in the and was in our conference room. But I'm gonna ask you the question that, that a lot of folks wonder about and they ask when they hear about Nuix is is it just really for big firms and big cases or does it scale down to smaller law firms and smaller cases at a price point that they can afford? Yeah, John. I mean, and that's a great question. And, you know, Nuex, you know, certainly hangs its hat on scale, the ability to go really big, really wide. And even with sort of our release of version seven coming out next week, you know, being able to push the scalability both horizontally and vertically to even bigger sets of data. That's all great. But sometimes you have a one gig mobile forensic image that you need to analyze. Nuex also handles that just as well. And so earlier we were talking about proof finder and sort of being able to take that up and down. Nuix really prides itself on being able to deliver the exact same software up and down the stack. So whether or not I'm targeting you know, hundreds of terabytes of legacy email or that one gig PST or that one gig forensic image or you know, whatever, it's really it's the same software and it's the same engine. And so it really gives organizations a lot of flexibility and scale. You know, I'm a huge fan of law firms and attorneys and practitioners sort of taking the onus on themselves to learn the technology and to get in and dig in and understand it better. I think once you get close to the data and can appreciate how simple things can be, the level of insight and the amount of progress that organizations can make really, really quickly uh, is tremendous. So again, I think Nuex can be used by really any organization of any size, so whether you're you know, tackling the, the petabyte problem or you've got a couple of gigs of PSTs that you need to index and you're tired of trying to do it in Microsoft Outlook. Uh, <laughs> Nuex has got something that works. Well, I'm sure you're right about that. <laughs> um, it, it, it really is a great product. But to return to the Panama Papers for a minute, I mean, we've already seen Iceland's prime minister resign. You think we're going to have more acts of uh, self-emulation here? Is this going to be something that's going to take down world leaders and or organizations uh, or celebrities? Is is that where we're probably headed with this stuff? You know, I love the salacious questions. Uh, you know, I, I think it's... <laughs> that's why it, I ask them, Stephen. Everybody loves to listen to those exactly, questions. Exactly. <laughs> and you're just not going to catch me on a real opinion like that. Uh, I, I think it's going to really shine the light on a lot of practices that people can turn a blind eye to. And so again, there are millions of you know, legitimate uses of offshore bank accounts, but I think this is going to really drive the transparency on being able to just have a signature you know, to sort of be able to own the company, but sort of really starting to understand where that data is coming from, who's actually the beneficiary of those funds. So if anything, I think it's going to drive a lot more transparency. 
And if organizations have embraced this type of business practice, you know, you'll start to see them think twice. You know, lots of organizations, I mean, even the, you know, as you mentioned, the prime minister of, of Iceland, I mean, even David Cameron of the UK, you know, wasn't specifically having an account, but he had had an account at one point in time. I think it's just going to really shine the light that this type of information, if exposed, can be devastating. And so I think people will really start to pay more attention. At the end of the day, though, it really just shines a bright light on, you know, the trust that we have and the types of information that is given to law firms, that's given to litigation support service providers, that really, as custodians of customer data and client data, we need to be ultimately responsible and hypervigilant because this stuff is really the crown jewels of organizations. You know, we're talking about sort of the salacious side of things. But what if it were intellectual property? You know, what if this was a, an intellectual property law firm that does patent filings? You know, it could be equally devastating to all manner of businesses if all of a sudden all of their intellectual property that they were, you know, having on file with the FDA or someone else was basically exposed on the internet. I mean, that can have some crippling implications. So this just happens to be exciting and salacious. I, that's my favorite word of the day. Yes, uh, yeah, that is your word of the day. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's the same implications of really if any law firm were compromised. You know, they hold a lot of critical corporate information. And if that were exposed, it's got real consequences. Well, we kind of know that it has been exposed. And since March 29th, there has been nothing but revelation after revelation after revelation of AMLA 200 firms being breached and or targeted. So I, I think that we now know that because of what law firms hold, it is much easier not to go to, say, General Motors, but to go to their counsel. And then you've got everybody else that they have in there as well. So there's a lot of targets. And the other thing about law firms, I don't know if you thought about it this way, but there's so much of what we hold is public record, whether it's because it's stuff filed in the patent office or whether uh, it's stuff that's filed with the SEC or litigation, that's all public record. So it's easy for people to construct phishing emails that are based on something that would really, if, if it's a good sophisticated fish, people will bite on it. And we're seeing that a lot in law firms. It's one of the biggest ways that people get in is by doing something like that and somebody inadvertently clicking on something they shouldn't have clicked on. So your message is, is certainly well-timed because since I, we really have said that since March 29th, the entire law firm security world has been stood on its head and it has not righted itself yet, but it is obviously in consternation and now there's a threatened class action against law firms that didn't abide by data breach notification laws. It's just been a nightmare. Yeah, it is. And and honestly, it, it will continue. I mean, so it's, it's kind of a, a curious coincidence, but our CFO's name is Steven, as well as mine. And so the number of people that basically try to fish me on their way to the CFO, just wanting, you know, a cash transfer, I must get five <laughs> or six a day. Really? Uh, yeah, it's really? just, or no, excuse me, not five or six a day, five or six a week. Uh, okay. Just random sort of, hey, can you transfer some money? Contact me. And I have a sort of a heightened awareness to it. But I mean, people will always be, <laughs> the human uh, element will always be the soft spot. You know, the pressure and everything. I was reading some article about, you know, they've talked about fishing and whaling and all these different things. But a well-constructed communication with a lot of the background detail that you've described, you know, who wouldn't respond to that? You know, 
it's really tough to sort of, you know, be able to separate the wheat from the chaff and understand what's a legitimate communication and what's not. Well, and people are just stupid. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Bruce Schneier. You probably are. But he's sort of a cyber god in the cybersecurity world. He has said users will pick dancing pigs over security anytime. Oh, a, a good, a, a well-timed kitten video? And, yes. And, and you're golden. You're golden. You're good to go. Absolutely. Um, I, just, I just want to say, Sharon, don't let me forget to send our bank routing information to Stephen. <laughs> yeah i mean but what's shocking though is that I, one time i actually just out of curiosity replied just to say hey what's you know what's up and then it was real-time communication i mean it really it wasn't this lagging it was like oh yeah can you do this and i kind of sort of kept playing the steps to see what information they would ultimately come back with but within five minutes you know they'd given me the account number they wanted the money transferred to and it all was very legit except that the email signature had our old email address on it, or excuse me, our old physical address on it. So, and one, I'm the CTO, not the CFO, so they're not going to get a nickel out of me. But uh, <laughs> it was at least curious that how quickly and effective, you know, you, you can have that experience. And it seems very real. All right, John, you got to make a note. We can't fish this Stephen. It's the other Stephen we want. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Stephen, I want to thank you so much for taking of your time today. I know that you're very busy. And uh, again, we appreciate both your expertise uh, with, with the software and your willingness to share some of these stories with, even if they weren't the salacious ones. <laughs> it was it was really helpful to hear all of this. And we do very much admire your product and the good works that your company does. So thank you for being with us today. You were a wonderful guest. Thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure. I enjoyed the conversation, and these are certainly exciting times. You know, everything is, uh, you know, all of these things are changing pretty quickly, but it's, you know, the, the core competencies that all of us have developed over the years around good business practice, investigations, et cetera, that will allow us to see the day through. Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please review us on iTunes. And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, technology, and cybersecurity services at senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.